What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Recorded live. Peace and love, everybody. Thank you for chiming in tonight. This is Domestic Balance with me, Tag Organization. I am the founder, Queen of Thieves, um, as well as I am a victim of domestic violence and an abuser of domestic violence. And um, I wanted to bring an organization that will talk to both victims and abusers um, as it pertains to domestic violence. Uh, And we've been doing that. We've been talking about the many tags of domestic violence, which is not just physical. We're saying it's not just physical. We're saying physical abuse is not even the core why people get abused and or um, remain in abusive relationships. We like to start our education with verbal abuse, um, and we say verbal abuse is the number one tag because it's the way that um, or verbal communication, verbal intimidation, verbal manipulation, that, that's one of the key ways that abusers get their victims. Um, and then, of course, there's the other side with um, the intimidation or, and or the verbal bullying uh, which is, you know, that can keep victims. Um, it's so verbal can get the victim and keep the victim all in the same tag. Um, and so we like to base, you know, education around that for um, the community as well as current victims, current abusers, and, of course, survivors uh, who still have a lot of unanswered why questions um, in terms of their abusive situation. Um, the other thing is emotional abuse, which, again, if you have verbal, you have emotional abuse um, because now the words are not just coming my way, they're inside of me now. So now I'm absorbing these words, and these words are telling my mind, my body, my spirit, with you, you know, how to feel whether I can laugh today, whether I can smile today. These words are telling myself, telling my body that, um, you know, telling my mind that. And victims often go in those relationships and still hear, you know, their abuser's uh, voice. You know, some years later, there's that aftermath of verbal abuse and emotional abuse. And then, of course, there's sexual abuse where, you know, 
it's prevalent in the household. It's really prevalent in domestic violence situations. And um, a lot of women and men and teens, young boys and girls, battle with sexual abuse right inside of their household. Um, And I think it's important that um, we focus in on that because the numbers are high when it comes to sexual abuse in that category. The numbers are very high. And, of course, you have, you know, rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment, those things that um, could take place outside of the home as well. The other tag is, of course, financial abuse. And this is a tag that doesn't get a lot of play. You know, oftentimes we don't talk about how victims, you know, live in these spaces and don't have the financial means to leave or, you know, their abusers have not allowed them to work and that allowed them to better themselves in certain situations. And so um, finance plays a part in that. Anything that the, that the victim wants to do to better themselves, the abuser will, the abuser will shut that down. Um, and some people call it, some people say uh, spiritual abuse. Um, but spiritual abuse, there's no research to support that spiritual abuse happens in the household. Um, and I do a lot of research on domestic violence, and I've, I've never researched that as being a particular tag associated with the household. Now, what I found was that verbal abuse, I'm sorry, spiritual abuse, it's a form of bettering, bettering yourself, okay? And I'm the abuser, so I know this for a fact. It's a form of that victim bettering their self. Um, what falls in the category with victims bat- bettering themselves? They can go to school. They can get a job. You know, they can have a support circle. They can have a church circle, you know. And so the abuser, we don't want our victims to do any of that. We don't want our victims to do anything that's going to better themselves, okay? Spiritual abuse normally comes from the spiritual environment, okay, where it's happening in spiritual places these tags are showing up in those places, and it does happen, okay? But it's not necessarily associated with the household domestic balance, okay? And then, of course, we talk about physical abuse. You know, we have so many uh, sisters and brothers that are being physically assaulted right in their household. We have so many children and youth that are being physically assaulted right in their households, and that is something that America cannot tolerate. Um, the reason being is because the physical assault can lead to murder. You know, it can lead to someone being killed, um, and America says that murder is the highest crime, and, you know, that to host cases like those, they're very expensive cases to host. Um, and so America, you know, wants all of the shelters and, um, you know, a lot of different spaces and places to be advocating against physical abuse. Not necessarily domestic violence, but physical abuse. <laughs> um, and that's why if we have our victims going into safe houses and things of that sort, um, we can... Um, we got to be, you know, extremely careful with the safe houses and things because as an abuser myself, again, um, I know just how easy it is to uh, 
go in a safe house or wait outside of a safe house to get my victim um, because there's no police presence around a lot of these safe houses, no security presence around the safe houses and, and, and the shelters and things. And we actually need that. We actually need these safe houses to be policed. We actually need them to be very secure uh, for our victims that are dead. You know, as an abuser, it's really nothing for me to find out where, where, where my victim is. I can call your mom. I can call your dad. I can call your best friend. You know, believe me, I have I have oozed these people. You know, believe me, I'm clever. I can get on the phone and get the information that I need to be able to get to you. You know, that's how the abuser's thinking. And a lot of times the abuser's correct. A lot of times they do get the victims to lure, lure back home. And a lot of times you got victims going to people that they think they can trust, you know, which could be parents, it could be um, their pastor or clergy staff or, you know, the um, temple leaders. Uh, it could be a best friend. You know, you think you can go to these people that you can trust. And, you know, a lot of times people say, go on back there, you know, pray about it. It'll work out. Pray about it. It's going to work out. You know, try it over. Try it again. You know, people say that, and then when victims go back, the abuser is just clapping, clapping his or her hand. You know, they're tight because, yet again, they have that victim to control. Okay, so that is the gist of what we do in terms of the many tags. When we say domestic violence, where's many tags? We we're bringing in the full blown educational piece to help victims, current victims, current abusers, untreated survivors, survivors in a whole, to uh, see that it's more than just physical abuse, and that's not even a gist of where abusers start to get victims from. Um, as an abuser, again, people say, well, Queen, do you know who, did you know who your victim is, you know, um, who, your, who your victim was? Did you, ha- you know, how did you know how to get this person and, you know, have them become a victim? Well, I listened to my victim. I listened to my potential victim early on, you know. Um, victims show signs of self of low self-esteem, the victim showed signs of being alone. You know, the victim showed signs of anger. You know, so whichever, whichever way I got to ooze myself in there to get that to get a potential victim, that's what I'll do. So if my victim is showing anger, I'm going to show my victim kindness. You know, as the abuser, I'm going to show you kindness because I'm trying to bring you over. You see, I'm I'm, I'm still trying to get in there where I can control you. So if you're you're being mean, I'm gonna treat you kind. You know that could be one of the strategies for the abuser to win the potential victim. You know if you don't have a mother or father, then I'm gonna be that for you. You know so the minute you start having conversations with people, which could be a potential abuser, uh, you gotta be very selective in what you're talking about on some of your conversations with particular people that you don't know that you're that you're getting involved with, you know, that you're dating or that you just met. You got to be very careful uh, about particular conversations, especially right up front like that. Um, so just monitor, you know, as we go out, monitor what our teens are, uh, are getting into and what they're saying, what type of language they're using. If they're rushing into relationships, they really are rushing into relationships. You can tell them Queen said it. 
They really are rushing in relationships. They really are having premature sex, and they're having children very young with 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 people with candidates that they have no clue of their mental history background, their biological background. They have no clue of what 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 child you know what type of child they're producing. Um, they have no clue really of what the other parent is capable of doing. You know, because they haven't spent enough time courting and dating in some of the teen relationships. So we just we, we definitely need to zoom in and monitor them and teach them proper dating skills, teach them proper communication skills, teach them ways to communicate and ask to find questions that they need to ask before you start having premature sex or having babies with someone that you have no clue really who they are. You just know on the surface who a per- person is. You haven't spent enough time with this person to understand how their mental and their emotional levels operate. Research says that, you know, everybody should normally wait six months to a year before they start allowing someone into their personal space like that. Um, with abusers, sometimes the signs show up right away, you know, and then sometimes you may get some things, see red flags as you carry on through the six months, as you carry on through a year. There's, there's probably going to be some red flags there, but are you in tune enough to understand? You know, that that question goes back to us as as people that, you know, that are communicating and, you know, dating or building friendships So you know, having different relationships in the world. Um, we got to be very selective about how much information we give to the other person um, when it's premature like that because you can be talking to, a potential abuser, okay? Um, so keep that in your back pocket as we move forward through the show. Now, this talk show is the brokenness, the boldness talk show. This is the talk show where the survivor stories really are the lifesavers. Uh, and I like to push my survivors to save, to use their stories to save souls, not just change souls, but save souls, okay? Um, and then, of course, uh, we have survivors, women, men, and teens. We have had women, men, and teens from all backgrounds and walks of life to come on and share their story about some of the issues that they face with domestic violence. So it's a very um, personal time that the uh, my guests and myself communicate, interview uh, some of the spaces that they've been through as it pertains to their domestic violence story. Now, I really feel like that the survivors, I push my survivors, I I really push them to talk and share because I believe that their stories can save people. Um, I believe that that current victim, that current abuser needs to hear that survivor story because it does do something to them. It does penetrate their heart it does bring them another perspective to where um, it's not just about their issues, but they see that they're not alone when they hear the survivor stories. They understand that they're not alone and that it's other people out here just like them. And so that's why this talk show has been very important um, in terms of sharing the survivor story. We can't, we can't, run a movement of domestic violence without the survivor story. 
that is literally an educational piece um, for communities around the world. The survivor stories are. That's literally an education piece that can save people, victims and abusers, uh, from a domestic violence situation, be it intimate partner, family domestic violence, and or teen dating violence. I take a number of speakers with me into the school system when I'm speaking to my students there, when I'm educating them. I also like to have a brokenness to boldness piece in with me. Um, so I bring a speaker with me to be able to share this story with our students. Um, and it really does open up a door for them to understand more deeply, more personal, more intimate about what victims and or abusers go through um, in terms of domestic violence. I've taken victims, I've taken abusers into the school system to share this story. And then, of course, you know, I'm a victim as well as an abuser. So I share my story with them a lot. Um, so we end up doing very well in, in, in that selection, you know, uh, in that category of speaking to the students. I've gotten some good surveys back about the brokenness, the boldness pieces, and the speakers that I bring out to speak to them. And um, I've got some very good communication back with this, um, actually with this talk show. I've gotten some very com- good communication back with this talk show. Um, and tonight, you know, I host two guests, uh, and I have tonight with us our sisters that are coming on to share their stories tonight, and I'm just excited about them doing that because it's not an easy thing to do. To share your story is not easy, you know. And so um, I have to take them back to spaces that they're not used to going to. So tonight we have... Our sister Handy, she is from Lafayette, L.A., I believe, where she grew up in a single-parent home. She was a teen mom, the mother of eight children, uh, broken and confused after being abandoned, her biological dad, her biological dad, abandoned by her, by her biological dad, um, this caused her to go out and seek love in all the wrong places, okay? So I want to see if she's on with us. Hopefully she is on with us. I'll get more into, um, you know, the questions and more into her bio as we move forward. Let me see if she's on the call, though. Um, sis, are you with us on the call today? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Let me get you again. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. Queen got you, queen got you. How you doing tonight? Okay, I don't got her. Hold on. Let me try this again. <laughs> yeah, sis, my, how you doing? Did I get you this time? Hello? Yeah, I got you now. I got you, I got you. Is it right <laughs> on Louisiana? It's Louisiana, right? Yes, ma'am. It's Lafayette, oh, Louisiana. LA. What are you talking about, girl? Okay, all right. Forgive me. Louisiana. Yes, Louisiana. Um, thank you for chiming in tonight, sis. We are so glad to have you on. I know we missed you last or a couple of months. Yes, ago. yes. Thank um, you for having me again. Yes, so I definitely wanted to bring you back on because your story is just amazing. 
Chuck, you're in Louisiana. You know, um, I know that D.C. has quite a few programs, but I'm not sure about Louisiana. You'll be able to chime into us with that tonight. But why? Just tell us why did you want to do this talk show today? Because I want people to realize that all of us serve a purpose. All of our stories are going to be different. We're going to be able to touch a number of women. And for me, I just felt like I have to be able to be that platform to let other women know that our life does not stop because we've been exposed to domestic violence. Our life must go on. But it's up to us to give our life back to Christ, to be able to live life beyond abuse. Mm-hmm. I've written my book, mm-hmm. and my book helped me heal because I relived some of the things that I went through from preteen violence to domestic violence. And mm-hmm. I must say that was so challenging for me to do, but I knew that that was God's way of telling me that in order for me to heal, to move to the next chapter in my life, I had to write it in a book. Oh, wow. And here I am. All right. All right. Thank you so much for that. Now, going back to your bio, Mm -hmm. very prevalent things that are happening to young girls right now, abandoned by their dads, seeking love in all the wrong places. What happened to you? Paint that picture for us. What gave them the right to abandon you? Well, here's what's the situation. From my understanding, because now I'm an adult, and as a child, my mom was a single mom. My mom had me at the age of 17, and I grew up with my mom at first and my grandmother. And when I was eight years old, um, that was the last time I actually would see my dad, like, on a regular basis. My mom was in this relationship with my stepdad, and this man took care of me. And he helped my mom with any and everything that I needed. But because I knew that he was only the biological dad of my sister, which my mom did have eight years later, and he never treated me any different. But because I knew that my dad was a married man who had other children with his wife, and he was married when him and my mom got together and did their little shebang or whatnot, he was married. So my perspective of things was like, I was not good enough for him to be a part of my life. But in other words, he was a part of my brother's and sister's life. So it made me feel like if I was just not worthy enough of him exposing me and introducing me to people that he knew or just to acknowledge the fact that I was his his daughter because he wouldn't come around. He wouldn't come to functions because I participated in sports at school. He wouldn't come to anything. And, And when he would come around, As I became a teenager, it was like, I don't know how to be with this individual by myself to go places because he wasn't a part of my life. It it was like he was a stranger to me. So I felt like he abandoned me. But at the same time, I still had the love for my my stepdad instead of my biological dad. So for me, it was like, okay, you know what? I'm getting all these emotions, and they're all balling up inside because I feel like if I just wasn't, I felt like I wasn't good enough, you know, for him or anybody else to love or accept me just because he made me 
I say he made me on the outside of his marriage because my mom said he was married at that time. And I still felt like, well, okay, then that's, that's not my fault. Why do I have to pay the price for him and my mom doing what they did and having me and now he's not a part of my life like he is with my other siblings. For me, that just that broke me. That that just that just touched me and hurted my soul to where I started not caring as I became a teenager. I started not caring what I was doing and who I would hang with. And it was just like it led me to go out there searching for that love because my biological dad wasn't giving it. Although my stepdad was, it just for me, it just wasn't enough. I wanted it from my biological dad, and I did not get that. So I went out seeking love, and I say in all the wrong places because it was the wrong places. If I would have known what I knew now, then it would have been a completely different story. But I can't change, I can't turn back the hands of time. Right, right, good, good. Okay, sexual abuse, you know, what happened? My My first encounter with sexual abuse was at the age of 14. And it was me and these two girls that uh, we were friends, and we went to these two their two boyfriend's house, and they were they were actually in the rooms with their boyfriends, and I was sitting in the living room, and this guy's dad walks in, and when he walks in, he says hello. I say hello back to him, and he immediately he goes into I guess their room, his room, his kids' room, and I'm still in the living room watching television, and he comes from the back. And he calls me to go and see something. But mind you, I'm just 14. I don't know what he's calling me for. I knew he had other kids and the baby was like maybe one or two years old. So I'm thinking he maybe want to ask me a question about one of these children. So I go in the back and I follow him into this room. And when I follow him into this room, he closed the door behind him and the light switch was like right by the door. So when he closed the door and he cut off the light switch, he immediately started sounding me like, playing with my breasts and just actually put his mouth on it. And that out of, that took me to a, a whole this uh, discomforting place because his two sons are in the rooms, my two friends are in the rooms with them, and nobody knows. And right there, my emotions, I, all I could do was cry because I'm not knowing what's going to happen next. But lucky for me, his son came from out of the room and checked to see if I was still in the living room watching television. And when he noticed I wasn't, he knocked on the door. And when he knocked on the door, that's when he stopped. So I was thankful that, you know, God sent his son to come and knock or look for me and knock on the door when he didn't see me because I don't know what would have happened next because I was still a virgin at that time. Wow. I'll, my mouth always get wide open when this kind of you know, when mm-hmm. my sisters talk about their story in terms of um, all the many tags of domestic violence, but particularly sexual abuse, because you you were how old? I was 14. 14. Okay, so, um, and, you know, of course, that's we still have 14-year-olds right now that are being molested yes. and or sexually yes. assaulted in some way, some fashion by somebody that, they know or somebody that they are familiar with. Yes. So did you feel depressed? Were you suicidal at all behind? I was I was depressed. I was kind of I don't I was a lot of things. I didn't really come out and tell my mom right then and there. 
because of the simple fact I was ashamed about it and I didn't want any I didn't want any trouble to come from it. So I didn't really tell her right then and there. I kept that in. I I, I kept it in as long as I could until I was comfortable enough or until years went by that I was comfortable enough to actually let her know that, you know, this actually did happen to me. And I can say that moment, mm-hmm. it it made me just look at life completely different. It made me even feel more or less worthy. Like I just, my self-esteem had dropped completely. Okay. I didn't Did feel you, like I, if I was, I didn't feel like I was anything like pretty enough or people would have just mm-hmm. liked me. I just was feeling all kind of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was between the age of 14 and what, maybe 18? Between 14 and 18, yes, because okay. right after that, not long after that, is when I got exposed to preteen violence with my first domestic relationship. Right, okay. Now, you lost custody of six children. Yes, due to my last domestic relationship. Paint that picture for us because we got sisters losing their children right now, too. The way that happened with me was my last, I had my older three children with my first domestic relationship and my last five with my second domestic relationship. And the way it happened with me was the calls came from, I guess, my oldest children, their grandmother. She, I say she did it and she still says she doesn't, but I don't, it's the past, I'm over it, I let it go, I forgave her and whatnot. But so many calls kept coming from her and me when my last abuser would attack me and I would call the police. They had it on record and files. And when social service came to investigate, they didn't take time to thoroughly investigate. The way that it happened with me was one day I went to visit to visitation. I caught the city bus because I didn't have any transportation, and that was the only means of transportation. I caught the city bus, and when I caught the city bus, I had to walk from around the building and come to the front. But mind you, my abuser, he was such an abusive person, he followed me everywhere that I went. I could not get away. Even though I had a restraining order on this man, it was not easy for me to get away from him. So when I would go to visitation, he would come to visitation, but he wouldn't come inside with me. He would just sit in the back of the building and wait till the visit was over, and then he would come. One day the worker watched, and she saw him sitting, and she comes back around, and she comes to tell me, well, she said, um, I could see that you're still having your kids in this endangered environment. And for me it was like, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she was like, yes, you are. And I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm not. But I didn't go into it with her because I was there to visit my kids. So from that moment, they just assumed that I was in a relationship with him and wasn't trying to get away from him. And more so because in the midst of me being in that last domestic relationship, I conceived my last two children, why social service was investigating me. So they said that I was having a relationship with him in an intimate relationship with him and that I was just going to always have my children at danger while being in a relationship with him. So they said the best thing for them to do was to take my children. And at that moment, I questioned them. Why are y'all assuming that I am willingly in this? How do y'all not know that I'm not being forced to stay in this relationship? Y'all didn't take time 
to question me or to even get me the accountability of some sort of help beyond the restraining order because they they gave me the paperwork to follow restraining order and that was it then they gave me a case plan once they done that that was that was it they didn't even ask me sit down have questions with me have a conference with me of anything that they could have possibly do to help me they just looked at it as to where i was still being in a relationship i was still allowing myself to go through that when i wasn't i was being forced to stay in that relationship. My life was at stake, and they didn't even care. That was the reason I lost custody of six of my children, because they say that I was willingly being with this man. Wow. Um, and Child Protective Services said that. Yes, Child Protective Services said that. And because I, I worked the case playing two times, and I missed maybe two visits because I didn't have transportation to go to those two visits. But they were supposed to provide transportation and never provided me with transportation on those two visits. And because I could not afford to pay them $120 child support for those six children, which I didn't have a job, I was on I was a mother on welfare with my younger two babies. And what I was getting out here in Louisiana was not enough for me to pay for my bills at home to make sure my two babies kept a roof over their head and pay them $120 child support. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Um, and the good question is how do they know, like you said, that you were you were not being forced to be in the relationship. And that's the Mer- thing. They didn't know because they didn't take time to act. They just assumed. They just went on from what they saw. Mm-hmm. That, that was the most appeared. heartfelt thing ever. And, you know, as a mom going through this, you never think that, uh, you know, the system would turn it back on you. Um, right. Right. But the system does, you know. They, they the system, perceive, they robbed me of my rights. Yeah. They perceive certain things as how they want it to be because they still yes. don't understand the significance of domestic violence relationships. Exactly. They're not educated enough to understand just how manipulative and controlling and intimidating mm-hmm. the abuser can be. Wow. Exactly. You know, so... Yeah. Yes. You have the children back in your custody today. I didn't get custody back. I lost custody. I still have my two custody of my two younger kids, which are 11 and 12 right now. But I did reunite with all of my children, though. Oh, well, bless God. Okay. Oh, yes. God is awesome. We serve a mighty, mighty God. Yes. Yes. I reunited with all of my kids, and I did. Um, I did over the years, and I did over the years because I had to – I had to turn my life around, and I had to start. I had to give myself back to Christ, and I had to start serving my purpose. I had to go to church, and I had to pray, and I had to be by myself. I wasn't in any relationships at all. And I know sometimes people be like, "Well, how did you do it?" Because it gets lonely. It gets it gets lonely. But at the end of the day, when you know you are not getting your head bashed in for food not fixed right on the plate, or for the water not being hot enough, and just unrealistic things. Mm-hmm. Trust me, the loneliness will all go out the window. Yeah. And when you give your all to God, He will make a way out of any way. I know that. For that's me, fine. that's what I needed to do because He had to mold me to become strong and not broken in bitterness anymore to where I could be the role model that my kids need before Him reuniting me with all of them. All right, now. Okay. And I'm so- thankful that He did. I am too. 
Tell us about A Little Girl Scorn. A Little Girl Scorn is my book that I wrote, and it um it's about my my childhood life from the time that I was eight years old up until I met my husband, which is going to be three years that we've been married. It it goes into debt of everything from sexual assault to my two domestic relationships to me being homeless to me losing custody of my children to me being suicidal, wanting to commit suicide. Just It gives you everything in my book to me giving myself back to Christ and me actually becoming the new rejuvenating me before he actually sent me my husband. My book gives it Oh, I don't I don't leave out anything and I don't sugarcoat anything. I give it to them to where they have to understand that it's not a pity party. Mm-hmm. It's a life or death situation. You either right. have to choose to want to live or you have to choose to want to die. And at the end of the day, we all serve a purpose, but we're not brought on this earth to be anybody's punching bag or anybody's doormat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my book, gives it, my, my book gives it to them. It, it, very it good. Everything. Very, very good. Thank you for chiming in with us tonight. Where can they get the book? How can we find it? Um, they can go to um, my website, which is a littlegirlscorn.com, and purchase it. And um, I'll mail it out. With autogra- it's going to auto- be autographed already. And um, it's also on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. All those places have the book. Okay, good. Okay, good. Great. Good book. Thank you for your story, sis. We really appreciate you for chiming in and sharing with us um, a lot of different elements to your story that reach so many different um, women. And I know right now we're in the Facebook Live group with sisters from pretty much all over the world um, where we're communicating. And uh, your story is very prevalent there. Um, and helping sisters right now that are currently in abusive relationships or and or that are abusers themselves. Right. So I definitely appreciate you for being in that group with me and shining well, light. I thank you. Yeah, shining light on your story because it's definitely needed. It's something that they need to hear that that they need to read every day, you know, that we're in group doing yes. activities and stuff. It's something that they need to read and, you know, just have your presence there every day because... Yeah, because I have this one part. It's entitled Believing in God for the Impossible. It's 24 things that Mm -hmm. I've written in thoughts that came from me that I had to believe in God for. And I titled it Impossible because at that moment when you're free, all those things feel impossible, but nothing is impossible for God. All right, now. Well, thank you very much for chiming in. I look forward to us continuing the work. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Not at all. Um, not at all the problem. So you you heard it here tonight live on the Brokenness the Boldness show that uh, our guest tonight, our sister Andy, talked about, you know, her story and, and you know, and a lot of things that she's experiencing right now with her story, with her brokenness, especially her brokenness. A lot of young girls, women and teenage girls, are having the same story, the same story from her being a little girl up until her losing her children and the system turning it 
turning its back on her. Uh, you know, there is that that story, and that there is that story happening uh, to so many women and teenage girls all around the world. We can't just limit it one fact. These tags go all across the world. These tags are being taught at the dinner table. We're still raising children in domestic violence households right now. Right now, if every child, if a child is being born every second of the day, let's say 10 children, out of the 10, probably nine of them are being born to a household where domestic violence has been traditional for their families. That's dangerous. The numbers are just hiding. They're appalling. And the numbers are, I don't, we, you know, I try to tell my side, and, you know, I, I try to keep me a, a pack of survivors, you know, to help me get this story out to the world better. You know, so I'd be hard on my survivors about sharing, you know, and about sharing the gruesome. Don't hold nothing back when you when you're dealing with domestic violence with me say because as my sister said, we're not sugarcoating. We're gonna tell you what's really going on. So, you know, of course if you are a victim of domestic violence and you wanna reach out, you can do that at the domestic violence hotline. One eight hundred seven nine nine safe. One eight hundred seven nine nine safe. You can reach out to me, and of course you can friend request me on Facebook. Q U E E N A F I. You can catch Queen of Fee there and um, and see more of what we're doing to reach people all over the world in terms of um, having this dinner table conversation. Uh, with current and current abuses. Everything that I do with the victims and the abusers, I do it in secret um, because um, I know that what they're holding, what they're holding is a secret. Um, and so if I'm going to get them to tell a secret or open up to be transparent enough to share about that secret, then I have to work with them in secret in order to get them to do it. Because my main goal is that you're a resource, you know, with a story like that, you're a resource. So I want you to be able to trust me enough with your story, with your secret, that um that your secret can save lives. So I ask them to really, I ask victims and abusers to really entrust me with their secret. And um, I got to hold on to those secrets until I can get them where they can start sharing pieces of the secret. You can't force no victim to share. You can't for- force no victim to leave the abusive relationship. You can't force an abuser to share. You can't force an abuser to stop the abusing. You can't do that. I mean, jail, yeah. They locked me up. And in jail, all I could think about was getting to my victim. That's all I could think about was the next thing that I was going to do to my victim when I got out. Because in my mind, they got me locked up. My behavior didn't get me locked up. That man got me locked up, you know. So, and that's how a lot of times that's how abusers are thinking. We're plotting behind it. Jail don't scare no abuse. It's going to take education. It's going to take survivor story that's going to penetrate the hearts and souls of current victims and current abusers. That's going to spark up the change in them. So, 
keep that in your back pocket and let them know Queen told you so. As I was second guessing, I, I hope she is. If she's not, then um, I can go ahead and close this out. But I had another guest that I was, of course, expecting tonight. I'm going to open the lines and see if she's there. I believe it's Makia. I hope I'm saying that right. Got to get your sister's name right. Makia, are you on the line with us? Okay. She may not be on the line with us. Her story was was kind of new. That's another thing. I try to tell stories that are fresh. Um, I try to tell stories of that are 10 years and younger. Um, and the reason I do that is because those stories can reach victims and abusers right where they are right now. They can identify really with that. Stories 10 years or older, uh, I appreciate them. I love them. I love the story, but um, the times are just different now, and the way that the mindset of these children are today is different, so um, stories that are 10 years and younger uh, with this person may be, could be really recent getting out of the relationship and having trusted me to share their story with the community it hits home for them victims and abuse. They hit their hearts so powerful because it was just like yesterday that this person was in this relationship and now they're here telling you to get out of or sharing their story, pleading, don't stay in an abusive relationship. It really hits home for them because it was it it appears to be just like yesterday. Um <clears throat> and for these children, they're visual. Our teens are very visual now. Um, they want to see the person who it happened to. They want to hear from the person who it happened to. Um, they want to know this person, you know. And so I try to get my speakers out to the school system um, every time I go. I either try to bring a, 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 a brokenness and boldness speaker or I try to bring an artist with me, um, someone who can still reach them in an inspirational way. Uh, my story itself is, is, is only seven years old. My own story is only seven years old. Um, and so <clears throat> when I tell my story, it's, it's really new to them. They they can relate to um the things that I've been through um, in my story. So um, just being able to think of creative ways to reach our young people, um, to reach current victims, current abusers, which is women, men, and teens, um, and, and just being able to tap into their spirit in a way that it hit home. It hits home in, the, in that it's not sugar-coated at all. They don't do sugar-coating at all. Like, you come in there with a textbook and really looking pretty and, you know, <laughs> they judging us as soon as we walk through the door. They judge me as soon as I walk through the door, you know. And I come in there with my backpack. I wear a backpack like they wear, <laughs> you know. So I'm trying to let them know, look, I'm not here for no mess, you know. I'm here to uh, be very real 
with with my students. And, you know, they have embraced me for that. They have embraced me for that, and I really appreciate them. Um, the teen community has really embraced me for the work that I'm doing with domestic violence. I'm making it a popular conversation for them. I'm making domestic violence a, a popular conversation for them. I'm letting them know that um, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not. Um, it's not a. It's not a subject that you're not supposed to talk about. You know, it's a subject that you can talk about. And it's a subject that you can really learn a lot about. You can really learn a lot about yourself, as well as learn a lot about what you're going through, or maybe what some of your friends are going through, or family members are going through. You know, so I try to make it, you know, as fun and as interesting for them as possible um, when I'm out speaking. I try to do that for all of the audiences, really, for women, for men, and for teens. Just try to make it as, as you know, as transparent as possible because the transparency is what's going to save lives, too, at the end of the day with um women, men, and teens that are victims and abusers of domestic violence. So just keep that in your back pocket. We don't have our second interview here tonight, um, but I do want to thank everybody who chimed in to listening to um, our sister story tonight, you know, and just put it out there for you that if this is what you're going through with somebody that you know could be going through this, then we don't want to sugarcoat what they're going through. Um, We want to try to be a light for them. We want to try to be that person who can share um, the resources that you have. But the one thing we cannot do is continue to tell victims to leave, 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 because their chances of dying go up 75% when we do that. Uh, So we definitely just want to try to be an ear and maybe pass some resources. And we don't want to give them, you know, we we don't want to try, we don't want to try to give them pamphlets and, you know, cards with domestic violence names on there and stuff like that. We want to try to do everything with victims in secret because they're like, like our sister said, her abuser wouldn't let her do anything, you know. And so abusers, we be checking, you know, we be checking the phones, we be checking your back pockets, your jeans that you just took off. We check your pocketbook that we know we saw you wear the other day. We checking in your phone. You know, we be checking. We check the car. So we check, you know, who you who you with, what you're doing, and, you know, who you talking to, who you communicating with. We know what color underwear you wore. We know pretty much everything, you know, and we can't allow you to get away with uh, certain things. It's a job to be an abuser. It don't make no sense. It's a job to, to keep tabs of a grown person. It's a job to control someone else. That is a job. Uh, but you got some abusers out here who don't have nothing to do. That's all they do, you know. They spend more time doing that than they do on their career, you know. So it's different strokes for different folks, but you got some abusers who, 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 um, who, who, you know, put time into controlling that other 
controlling that other partner. And don't forget we got the relationships are looking different now. We have the same-sex relationships where men are being abused by men, women are being abused by women, the young boys are being abused by young boys, the young girls are being abused by young girls in intimate um, partner relationships and teen dating balance relationships. Um, and, of course, there's family domestic violence. Where everything started at your dinner table. You know, a lot of children are learning right at their dinner table how to be victims and or abusers. They're learning it right there. So, of course, they're going to get 15 and, and probably end up in an, in an abusive relationship because that's what they learn in the household. That's normal for them. You know, and we got to respect people's normalcy. We got to respect the normalcy of people's households, but also add in another perspective. Give them another view of their household. Give them tools. Give them education about what their dinner table should really be sounding like uh, and looking like at the dinner table. So do me a favor and tell somebody domestic violence wears many tags. And I want y'all to go in peace and love. Thank you for chiming in tonight. Go in peace and love, my brothers and sisters. Thank you for chiming in tonight. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.